0: Hello and welcome to episode 85 of The Brand Lounge, the place for unfiltered conversations on big topics for small businesses. I'm Tammy Heels, founder of Shadowcat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant, and I help service-based businesses to define and grow their brand and business. And today I am delighted to be joined by Laura Foley, who is a presentation strategist at her business, Laura M. Foley Design. Thank you so much for joining me today, Laura.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure,
0: Tammy. How exciting. So today, listeners, Laura and I are going to be talking about presentations. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's familiar with the phrase a death by PowerPoint, alluding to those days of stuffy offices and dreary slides. And no, 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 listeners, that is not for us. We want to communicate the excitement and passion that we have for what we do. And Laura is going to help shed some light on how we can do that and use PowerPoint in a vibrant and engaging way. So today, Laura, I love to start these episodes by taking it right the way back to basics, make no assumptions, and get everyone on the same page. So could you start by sharing a little bit about what PowerPoint is, and maybe touch on why it's got a little bit of a dodgy rep?
1: Absolutely. PowerPoint is the world's most popular slide presentation software. It allows people to very quickly make slides that have a number of characteristics, such as bullet points, graphics, colors, animation. And people typically use their PowerPoint slides to support their presentations, their speeches, and their webinars. Why it might have gotten a dodgy rep over the years is that PowerPoint makes it super easy for you to create the most awful-looking garbage presentations in the world. And they facilitate this disaster by allowing one to type as much as you like into an outline and to create bullet points in an outline form. I'm not against outlines. Outlines are fantastic for organizing your thoughts and reordering items in your presentation so that you make a logical progression. But not a lot of people go beyond the outline view and they leave an outline up on their slides for people to look at. Another thing that people don't like about watching a traditional PowerPoint presentation is when a presenter reads their slides. This again is helped along by the outline format and it is something that is, it's a lazy way of presenting because the presenter is obviously reading as presumably the audience can read too and it shows not only a lack of respect for the audience but really not taking the advantage or taking advantage of the fact that you're speaking to a live audience and and you're missing opportunities to interact with them when you are showing a bullet pointy powerpoint slide and when you are reading from it
0: that's There are so many interesting points in there because as soon as you articulate it in the way that you have, I'm like, that's the reason that
1: it's boring.
0: And the whole having a slide that they read from, I never understood that because in my opinion, if you're having tools like slides around you, it's to support what you're saying and reaffirm the points that you're communicating as opposed to just literally saying exactly what you've said. Why would you It's the same reason that people find it irritating if you go to a PowerPoint presentation or a free training. And I know that there are plenty of uh, marketing gurus out there who are guilty of this, where they only really have one point and they just make it in a dozen different ways over the space of an hour. And for me, PowerPoint presentations that effectively do that by telling you what they're going to tell you whilst they're telling you, it just doesn't help me remember any better. But on the flip side... There are benefits to having PowerPoint to support your presentation. So, what would you say are the benefits of using a slide? And then we'll go into details of how that, how to kind of format it to support. But, what are the benefits of having something like PowerPoint to accompany your presentation?
1: Well, it's because if you're able to visually support what you're saying without actually repeating what you're saying or be a direct Echo of what you're saying. It can help the audience to understand what you're talking about. And I'll give you an example. I could have a slide that describes what a forest looks like. You are standing in a forest in a grove of trees. There are pine needles on the ground. There's mist in the air. And there are pine cones on the forest floor. You're probably thinking of what that those words mean But it doesn't help you if I'm describing it and there are those bullet points to describe what I'm telling. On the other hand, I might have a photograph of exactly what I'm talking about with maybe a slow pan animation where the photo gradually makes its way across the screen as I'm describing not what the place looks like, but maybe how I want you to feel about it. Describing things that aren't visible in the picture, such as the smell of the forest, the sounds that you may hear, or the absence of sounds. So really, the PowerPoint presentation is very helpful to reinforce what you're saying without being the little character at the side just saying, she's saying this, blah, 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 like being a subtitle to what you're saying. Yeah, I love
0: that. So it's it's allowing you to articulate your points in two different ways at the same time, which is Pretty cool, actually, when you think about it like that. I mean, as a designer, uh, as a designer and and having come from a corporate world where PowerPoints were occasionally part of it, it was always a frustration because I wasn't actually aware of just how much can go into a PowerPoint presentation nowadays. Like they've come leaps and bounds in the time that I first started, where it was like, just shove some information on the slides and then someone's going to talk through it. Um, and using them literally like talking points. But exactly what you've articulated there is fantastic, is the fact that you can can set the scene from an emotional and a feeling connection and describe how you want the person, the audience to connect with what you're saying, whilst also visually and audibly showing and setting the scene, I guess, is more of what it can be used for as a support tool rather than a crutch.
1: Right. And it's funny, as you were repeating my words back to me, I realized that you can also use that to show something that's completely opposite of what you're talking about if you wanted to be funny. So you might describe, say, I'm I'm speaking about what it's like to work from home, and I'm talking about the freedom of being able to clock in when I want, making my own hours, having my own space, and the picture might be of my kids banging on the door, the dog running in, and this chaos that's actually happening. So that would show people that not only do I have a sense of humor, but it's also humanizing the whole work at home thing with where we know that it's not nirvana working from home. Yeah, so it's a good way to play. You can have this the PowerPoint be another character in your story that refutes what you say that, or that reinforces what you say, visually and audibly. Sometimes, if you're if you have that capability. And that can make for a much stronger presentation.
0: That's a fantastic point. I was just thinking as well, whilst you were talking there, that it could also be, like it goes back to one of the my favorite adages, which is show, don't tell. It's much more effective to show someone something than to, to describe it to them. And it works in films, it works in marketing, and it works in presentations when you're talking with your audience. So you could be describing a client experience and the outcome of a case study, but you could be showing visually what that final deliverable actually looked like. I'm thinking from like a, particularly in my line of work from a brand point of view, I could have slides in the background to actually show how the brand ended up looking rather than wasting my time explaining it to them when no one's going to be able to visualize exactly what it looks like. And I guess also it helps to cut through that assumption that a lot of people will have. So everyone is on the same page. Like we were saying right at the beginning where I, I love to make sure that everyone's on the same page. With PowerPoint, I guess it's helping the audience to understand specifically what you want them to understand as you're explaining kind of an additional concept around
1: it. Yeah, something I notice a lot of people do who are creating their own presentations is that they will put so much data, so much information, and so many ideas into the presentation. I work a lot with STEM professionals, engineers, technology scientists, and this group of people typically works with huge data sets that they are able to study and decide what the trends are or rather see what the trends are understand what the data mean and form conclusions and they do this all the time so often they think that the audience thinks that way too so they will put in all the data all of the little steps along the way the absolute minutia of what they're talking about that they believe is helpful so that the audience will understand what they're talking about the actual effect as you might have experienced yourself, is that it's overwhelming. It's boring. It's confusing. So it's important to be able to give some knowledge and to impart some knowledge in your presentations, but not to throw everything in the world about the subject at the people so that they will come to those conclusions. What a lot of presenters don't remember is that it takes them a long time to reach the conclusions that they have. The audience is not going to get all of the same data and instantly understand the way it took the presenter a, a measure of time to understand.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I couldn't agree more. And there's nothing more off-putting, I guess. Even if a speaker is super engaged, super passionate and and clearly passionate about the subject that they're talking about, if you're not able to communicate that to people who aren't familiar with the subject that you're talking about or not as familiar with your view on things, I guess that that's where PowerPoint or an accompanying tool can really, really help you get a bit more clarity for your audience in multiple ways.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. I, when I first started being an instructor, I remember very clearly, it was in 2013. I was giving an hour long course on presentation design to people in business school. The audience had no design background. So, the purpose of the presentation was to teach them some visual design techniques and organizational techniques so that they would be able to quickly create powerful, impactful presentations. Mm-hmm. What actually happened is that I did what I now tell my clients not to do, is I turn on the fire hose of graphic design information. I was talking about typography, leading, kerning, and all kinds of other indecipherable things that someone in business school would have absolutely no interest in. The result was that my surveys about what did they think of my presentation, they were not good. Because people thought that I had too much information, that I spoke too quickly, that they couldn't understand. And surprisingly, they thought I was really trying to sell from the stage because I kept directing people to my website when the intention, in fact, had been to direct people to the website so that they could read blogs, check out articles, and get some resources. So, really, a good presentation is as much about giving information as it is curating and editing information so that you're not dumping the whole weight of the world on the audience and expect them to know what to do with all that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And something else that you touched on there that I'd be keen to explore is timings. So I feel like timings within presentations can be a really, really tricky thing, particularly if you're not used to giving any form of talks where you need to put it in within a certain time limit. And I know that as a talker, I have learned even things like this podcast, like I've learned from my experience of giving talks and presentations that I need to have some form of structure and flow so that I know when I hit this marker, I need to be moving on to the next level or the next stage or the next point. And I'm curious to hear how you approach this when it comes to presentations. Because I think for someone who's nervous about giving a talk or a presentation, but is super keen to get into it, I think that there's this onus of not only cramming in all the information that you can to show that you know what you're talking about, like we've been just saying, but also that time goes much quicker than you ever expect. When you're sat there going, oh my goodness, I've got to give a 25-minute presentation, and then you hit the 15 minute mark and you're like, I've covered 0.1 on my list of 15 points. It goes so much quicker. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who is approaching a presentation around that timing aspect?
1: The first thing to do, and this would... Be true for any presentation is figure out what your presentation goal is. And the goal answers the question What is the ideal outcome from this presentation? In some cases, it might be I want my audience to learn more about this subject. And that would be a goal that a teacher or an instructor might have. Or another goal might be I want people to give me their contact information and sign up for my newsletter. Or It might be, I want to sell this product or get a meeting with the person who is in charge of making that purchase decision. Knowing what you want out of the presentation will help you to curate your information so that you are really building toward that conclusion that you want people to to make. And Really narrowing your focus down to only a couple of key messages, maybe three to five is good. Now you were complaining earlier about marketing presentations that have, but one key takeaway that they deliver again and again and again. And that's, that's irritating, right?
0: Yeah. 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 It's when it's the same point that doesn't really have much value to it, that they just rephrase repeatedly.
1: Right. And that's, That's no good. But if you have three to five key messages, there is going to be some measure of repetition, but it should be building on things that you've talked about and trying to bring in different examples or maybe a different angle of looking at these key uh, takeaways that you have that really will make it memorable for the audience. Yeah, we might think we're repeating ourselves because we know our subject matter and it might seem obvious or self-evident. But really, if the audience is new to this information, then they will appreciate you telling them things again and again in slightly different ways. Not that same one little marketing nugget, but the three to five messages that you have so that they can start to internalize your message and hopefully take that action that you're hoping they will.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe I didn't clarify maybe I didn't clarify myself particularly well. I think that repetition is incredibly important in marketing because you need to be able to say your key messaging again and again and again in different ways. I think my bugbear is when people the presentations in particular there's one that I can think of where They said, you need to create content that adds value, but then never explained what that was, how you would do that, or what the next natural step would be, which is exactly what you're talking about. You're building towards that next natural step for your audience. So just saying like, if you create content that adds value, you'll be adding value to the content you're creating. And you're like, that doesn't mean anything to me. You're just wasting my time. Whereas if you would say, you need to add value to your content, you can add value by doing X, Y, and Z, and you can do this through your content in this way or this way. But yeah, I think exactly what you were saying, like the three to five points, I think, I think also remembering that you need to do an intro and an outro, I feel like by the time you get to the end, you're so relieved that you've managed to articulate all of your information, or at least in my experience. That at the outro side, I still find that I need to prep my outro as well. Otherwise, I forget who I am, what I do and what I've been talking about for the last 20 odd minutes. So when it comes to doing a strong intro and a strong outro, in particular with that call to action, do you have any tips and advice on anything that the listeners can do to make sure that it's because when you're watching a presentation, like you're kind of relying on people taking notes. And by the end of it, they may be a little bit like, I just want to get going. So how can they wrap it up in a way that's memorable?
1: There is a scientific principle, and I think it's called the theory of recency. Don't quote me on that, but it does have to do with the most recent memories that people take away from an experience. And in a presentation, people are likely to remember the introduction or the beginning, and then it's a big static blur in the middle, and then they will remember your outro. Your outro to yourself or to any speaker, it might be, thank you and good night. Mic drop. Thank God this is over. But for the audience, the outro is so important because in a well-crafted outro, you are reiterating what you said. You are reminding the audience why it's important, what the benefits are of taking on your recommendations and what their uh, future could look like for the better if they do take your recommendations. And third, most importantly, is a call to action. For your listeners who might not be familiar with this marketing term, a call to action is the thing that you are telling your audience to do. So, And it's very specific. The call to action might be something like, and now I would like you to pledge to yourself to take this step forward, and then you articulate what that is. Or your call to action might be, I hope that now that you've understood what I'm talking about, that you will go out to your corner shop and buy this product because now you understand how much better it is for, and then just describe what it is. It might sound salesy, and it does sound salesy because it is. Sure. and But it's not, sale, it's not always selling an item or a service. It's selling the idea that what you're talking about has merit, selling the benefits of what you're talking about, and selling the audience on the idea that if they do the things that you're, you're asking them to do, if they remember the lessons that they've learned, that things are going to work out better for them in some respect. And that's why the outro is so very important. And going back to the very beginning of a presentation, the introduction, that's, I think, what is it? Dale Carnegie is saying, tell them what you're going to tell them or say what you're, talk about what you're going to tell them, tell them again, and then tell them what you just told them. That's an old saw about presentations. But really, a presentation is words in the air. And they are sounds and sights that people have. And it's not necessarily a checklist of what you're talking about, which is why an introduction tells you, tells the audience what they're going to hear, but also, and most importantly, tells them what they are going to gain as a result. Then in the middle of the presentation, that static, hopefully there'll be a few spikes in the static that people remember, but that will be the realization of what the introduction is the lessons that you are giving, the stories that you are telling. The demonstrations that you're giving, so that by the time you get to the conclusions, people have experienced what you're t- what you have told them, and have gotten a glimpse of what their what the benefits are to them of your message.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that information is invaluable, and I know that we're talking about presentations at the moment. But if any listeners are out there, there are two key things that I'd love to explore with you next. The first one is the fact that. This holds true with any form of kind of video or audio content when it comes to podcasts, when it comes to um, IGTVs or Instagram lives or even a Facebook live, anything like that. I mean, I've just looked over my notes now and realized that actually that's how I format my podcast episodes is that I tell the listeners what we're going to be talking about and what the benefits ideally will be if they give us their attention. So for this one, you shedding some light on how to talk about PowerPoint presentations, then we talk about it. And then at the end, we'll summarize it and do the outro. And I think that it's a really nice way of capturing their attention within that first 10 seconds or minute or whatever it is when you're like, this is what I'm going to talk about and this is what you're going to learn. This is why you should give me your attention because we're all, you know, there are so many things. Every time I open one of the social media apps, there's like half a dozen people who were going live at that time. And I'm like, you know what? I can't watch you all at once. So I'm either going to close that app or pick the one that I want to listen to the most. So the second thing that I wanted to talk about was have you noticed an increase in this need for presentation skills, given the fact that now, for the last 18 months or so, a lot more events have been online. I I feel like there's more opportunity in the last 18 months to do talks and presentations than I've had throughout my business. It feels a lot more normalized. But in your line of work, have you found that there's been an uptake in it?
1: Absolutely. Um, And something that I've noticed is that the bad habits that presenters have of giving those bullet pointed slides, of reading their slides, and of not describing benefits, those are made, those are magnified in an online setting. Because if, for example, you are watching a webinar, and somebody is reading from their slides of bullet points, what, Tammy, is something that you would do to pass the time? Oh, what? Like, that's not work? Well, you're you're watching a boring webinar. What's something that you would probably be doing during the boring webinar
0: um honestly some form of crafting or working I'd be writing my emails I'd be checking scrolling through socials or my new recent hobby of cross stitching so you know
1: one of those three <laughs> right. so essentially you're blowing this guy off pretty much this yeah. person, the, the person is trying to teach you something they are giving a webinar they're hoping that you will learn something And instead, you and millions of other people are not giving that person your full attention because they're not attracting it. So if you are watching or if you are logged into a webinar or an online meeting and your camera's off, you are still logged in as a participant. And the person can say, hey, I had 50 people on my webinar. Yay. But if 49 of them are looking at the internet, they're checking their Facebook, they're straightening out their desks or whatever they're doing. That is not good audience engagement. It's having an audience number. The thing that a lot of online remote presenters are missing is that they need to work a lot harder to engage with their remote audiences, especially during a webinar when they can't see anybody in the audience. Or when they can't hear anybody because there could be a couple of hundred people. You don't want open mics for a couple of hundred people. That would be a disaster. So the way that I've been advising people to become harder to ignore when they're presenting remotely are things that I would tell people who are presenting in person to do, of asking the audience directly to respond to questions. If you're able to call people out and not in a, hey, you're not paying attention kind of way, but rather like, hey, Betty, I I see that you've been listening to this. Do you have anything to add on this subject? So giving Betty time to recover from the fact that she's on the spot, but giving her a nice softball question so that she can ease into it. And that also signals to the rest of the audience, oh, I might be the next Betty. I better pay attention.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. poor cool, Betty. But yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and there are other ways to, to stimulate audience engagement. And that is to intersperse your Q&A throughout the presentation, where usually you might put up a slide that said section one, section two, section three. That's boring. But instead of the section one slide, you have any questions or comments about what you've just learned. And if you're able, you solicit people to speak, to come up to the mic. If you're not, then you go through the chat or have your uh, meeting moderator feed you those questions so that the questions that people have at that moment are asked very shortly after they're answered very shortly after they've been asked. That indicates to the audience that you are hearing them you are responding to their requests for knowledge and that what they have to say matters because you're taking those breaks to address their questions yeah
0: i really love that i really love that like flipping it on its head where instead of just being spoken at for however long actually being part of the conversation as a engaged member cuz engagement when it comes to presentations workshops and everything i mean you can You can tell whether you're doing it in person if it's going down well or not. But on Zoom, it can be really daunting. Like I've given a few online presentations over the last 18 months and there is a certain amount. of of fear that creeps in when I'm like, I can't tell whether they're making notes or if they're just sitting there like doodling or not paying attention. So I really like the idea of being able to intersperse that Q&A and changing it from a presentation to a collective learning experience almost. And really, like you said, It's about valuing their time. And by respecting that, by putting in these little moments, that sounds like a wonderful way of showing that that's what you're doing. So my question would be, would you advise them up front in your intro that you're going to be taking questions throughout so that they're kind of prepared for this new rebellious way of giving presentations? Or would you literally just find your Betty every time and just be like, wait, Betty, what are you doing?
1: No, I absolutely tell them that 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 this is going to be an active learning session that they can expect to be called on. I show them an example of a an any question slide, which in my presentations and those that I create for other people, it's always the same style, maybe a different photograph, but it always looks the same so that when they see that any questions slide up, they know it's time to talk. And it's nobody likes to be put on the spot. So it is important to let your audience know that this is going to be a highly interactive experience. And you can even call out the fact that people are likely to be messing around, but you can tell them that you can remind them of the benefits of giving their full attention to you during this time so that they understand that if they are compiling a shopping list or in your case, cross-stitching while they're <laughs> supposed to be paying attention, that they might miss something that could really help them. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that that's great. And I, I really like, yeah, I can't say it enough. I really enjoy the way that that is a very different take on the traditional way that I've experienced presentations. And I think that is a collective thing as well. I imagine that as someone who used to be incredibly terrified of talking to anyone and then decided to start a podcast and now it's less of an issue, I find that... Asking questions gives you a break. It gives you a moment to kind of compose yourself as well. Um, And also get a feeling for where the audience is at. Would you say that that was fair?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, You are, you're taking, you're giving the audience a break from your own voice, which as melodious as you might think it is, is not something people necessarily want to listen to for an entire hour. It uh, gives you a break, a pause, gives the audience a voice, lets them know they're being heard. And also you can ask them questions about what you have just taught to gauge their level of understanding. And there's another way that I do this, which is more fun than just does everyone understand. No one's gonna say, I don't because they don't wanna be the dummy who doesn't get it. So instead you can play a game and the game is very simple to create in PowerPoint. It can be as easy as a bullet point list where the question comes first and then the answer comes at a click. Or it can be something like a smart art or even a whole design slide with a question on one side and then an, the answer appears. But it's a way to, to um, get people to remember what they just saw. So you might say you'd ask a question about something that they should have just learned. And then you tell people, all right, put your answer in the chat as fast as you can. The first one who gets it right wins. And then you do that for maybe three questions. And then the winner could either get an actual prize if that's the nature of your your podcast. Like, hey, you get a $10 gift card to Tesco or whatever it is. Or it could be bragging rights or just, yay, you got it right. Whatever the prize is or isn't, it's not something that a lot of people are doing. And gamification, of teaching is proven to make people more active listeners and to want to win even if the prize is nothing it's a it's a break that they're not used to and it's fun yeah
0: yeah and i mean like that competitive streak after you get past the first one where everyone feels a little bit unsure of what's happening I think that that competitive nature would kick in and you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to win the next one. I'm going to win those (laughs) bragging rights. Um, This is wonderful. This is really, really helpful. The next thing that I would love to pick your brains about a little bit is the worst fear that everyone has before they do a presentation generally isn't whether people are going to like them or not. It's whether the tech's going to work. So, do you have any advice when it comes to navigating the technical challenges that can more often than not be associated with giving a presentation and ways to just kind of
1: smooth that whole mess over? Well, I'm not sure if it's the same for Scouts in the UK, but the Boy Scouts of America motto is be prepared. And it is a motto that can serve anybody well. I'll start with a story in. 2015, I flew to Kansas City to give a half-day's training course, and I had my laptop with the presentation on it, I had a USB stick with a presentation on it, and I had the presentation on Dropbox, so I had three backup systems. I get to the venue an hour early, and the text says, oh, um, you can't put in your USB stick or put up or connect your laptop to our system because we've got a huge firewall and we take security very seriously. I said, oh, okay, well, that's all right because I have it on Dropbox. Can I just download it to your system? Oh, no, 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 no. That's too risky. So those are my plans A, B, and C gone. And by now it's about half an hour before the meeting. We had determined that I had sent the, that I could go out of the Offices, Wi Fi, and send the tech my presentation. And he could download it, and then he could put it through the uh, scrubber to make sure there weren't any viruses on it. And then he could put it onto the system that I would be presenting from. That was a bit of a nail biter because until an hour before the presentation, I had no idea their security was so tight. Luckily, with all of the technology available to me and the fact that I had a really helpful tech that I had met before we were able to make it happen. Moral of the story is be prepared, but also be prepared for everything to fall apart. How do you get around that? You get around that by knowing what you're going to talk about by not necessarily memorizing your presentation, but remembering what the purpose of your presentation is, what the main lessons you're going to impart will be, and what you want the audience to take from the presentation because really if you if you're at an in-person meeting and you show up and you say well the machines all blew up the stage is uh, the the projectors on fire and we don't have a powerpoint presentation uh, but you're really disappointed about no powerpoint make it a big joke and then you just do your presentation anyway the audience will respect the fact that you that the show must go on and that you don't need to rely on the PowerPoint. When it comes to remote presentations, I cannot stress highly enough the value of those technical rehearsals, the dry runs, whatever you call them, that happen before the actual show. And being available for those is something you should always be. Don't be the guy who sails in 10 minutes before your show and say, okay, I've got this 458 megabyte file. How can I get it to you? No. (laughs) Being nice to the technicians, it seems like a no brainer, but respecting what they are doing in the context of maybe a big conference or a major sales presentation, you are not the only person in the world. So don't be a prima donna hothouse flower. And... Respectfully accept people's help because the technicians don't want you to fail. That reflects poorly on their own event or the sales conference or whatever it might be. They want you to be successful. They want there to be no technical glitches. And the more you can practice and give them all the information they need to make you look good, the better off you'll be when it comes to overcoming any technical glitches that could crop up.
0: Yeah, I, that's all brilliant advice. I think the rehearsals, the practicing and being prepared, it's something that if you're nervous about giving presentation, and I'm guilty of having done this years ago when I was in corporate, the first few times I had to do it, it's easy to put it off and put it off and put it off, doing the presentation slides, doing the talk through, doing the run through. But in all honesty, Like, it's highly unlikely that some kind of cataclysmic event is going to save you from having to give this presentation once you've committed. And even if something does happen on the day, it may just postpone it. So just kind of bite that bullet, make sure that you are as prepared as you can be. And I think that one of the things that you touched on there that I really want to echo is that No one wants to see you fail. No one is coming to that presentation hoping that you screw up and everyone will be supportive because they respect the fact that you're the one that's giving the presentation because I guarantee about 80% of those people watching that presentation would be like, I would rather be in the audience than up there giving it. So, you know, good kudos to you, respect to you for giving it if you stumble over your words if one of your slides doesn't work if you skip two slides and then have to skip three back and then try and find your place again just take a breath take a pause i think one of the i tend to talk very very quickly when i'm nervous and i've learned that taking a taking a pause to have a sip of water it feels like you've been silent for hours but it's only a few seconds and it just kind of gives you a bit of a moment to breathe i think that those are kind of the points From my experience, that I would kind of add on to your your majestic selection of points that you put across there as well. (laughs) Um, So, I think the last thing that I would really love to discuss with you is when people are creating these slides. I mean, you've given loads of great advice on how to format them and what they should contain from a, a support to the presentation, but they are a visual aid. So, do you have any tips and advice on? either resources or places that they can find inspiration to understand the composition of a good visual
1: slide. Well, it's interesting that you should put forth that the slide visuals are the most important thing when I would counter that your content is important and it drives what your slides will ultimately look like. I have had the displeasure of being asked to redesign what is essentially a terrible presentation. And you might be familiar with this phrase, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah, I've had
0: a pig is still a pig with perfume on it.
1: (laughs) So it's if it's a bad presentation, if it doesn't focus on the audience, if it doesn't ask them to do anything, or if it's rambling and pointless, It can look like the most stunning TED Talk slideshow you ever saw in your life, but it's still just smoke and mirrors. But that being said, people do want some advice on how to create good-looking slides. The good looking slides come after you have structured your presentation in the way that I've described, of starting out strong with your introduction, focusing on three to five key points, adding stories and demonstrations and then a powerful conclusion with a call to action. And once that is through, your slides can rely a lot on uh, photographs to visually describe what it takes forever to describe in words. Um, A lot of times people will have a lot of information on a slide. So picture a timeline where something starts way back in the past and then it goes to the future. A nice way to show timelines is to reveal those times one at a time. So first, the thing at the beginning of the presentation is like year one, our company was blah, blah, blah. And then the second year, the year one stuff fades out a little and the second one is more prominent and so on. Um, Animation is a great way to show and hide information that doesn't necessarily have to be front and center all the time as far as the typography is concerned i usually don't like giving hard and fast rules but this is one that i love don't go below 18 point type especially if it's being brought well anytime really because if you're broadcasting online if you're presenting online someone might be using their phone and your little 12 point type is going to be itty bitty little mouse type And if you're presenting live in person, the people up in the cheap seats aren't going to be able to read what's on your slide either. Less is more, as Mies van der Rohe famously said. So you should strive to edit what you are putting on the slide in terms of how many words you use to get to the essence of what your talking point is and all of the stuff that you might otherwise have made the teeny type to fit is what you're telling the people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that those are brilliant suggestions. And I think that there's plenty of, well, there's plenty of professionals like yourself out there who can support with the visual element and the structure behind creating good presentations from content right the way through to the end result. There's also plenty of information online. So if you're sat there knowing that you've got a presentation coming up, it is well worth putting in a little bit of research time just to kind of understand what is possible, because I don't know about you, but I wasn't aware quite how much PowerPoint has grown and changed over the last few years and exactly what you can do it when it comes to animation and video and things like that. And, you know, we're, we're used to, I don't think this digital side of doing digital conferences and summits and even presentations and networking events are becoming more and more common So, yeah, I think getting a good basis and a good understanding for some very basic design principles that support your content structure, go forth and do it. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today or should I
1: start wrapping this up? Well, I would add that anybody who is creating a presentation should not think of it as a PowerPoint presentation, but start thinking of them more as performances or experiences for the audience. And to think of how you would like to have that information presented to you. Do you want to see somebody turn their back to you so they can read their slides to you? Or would you rather have somebody giving a lively demonstration on stage of what they're talking about? If it's a remote audience, would you rather listen to the voice of the presenter From start to finish with no breaks? Or would you rather have the opportunity to ask questions just as soon as they arise, knowing that you're going to get a response within minutes because that presenter is going to take a break? So really thinking about what you enjoy, how you enjoy receiving information and what makes learning fun. Are the kinds of ideas that you should put into your own presentations?
0: Amazing. Yeah, I think that that's a fantastic point to kind of wrap this conversation up on. I feel like there's so much more that we could dive into, but as a basis, I think that this is a wonderful starting point for anyone who's broaching the world of presentation to make it more engaging and to make it more vibrant and less stuffy and <laughs> boring game right so from everything that we've discussed today my last question for you is what would be the one key piece of advice that you'd like to share with the listeners that they could take away and potentially take action on
1: I actually have two uh, one piece of advice is to know what you're talking about don't be surprised at the next slide coming up Don't say, oh my God, I don't know why that slide's here. You should because it's your slide, right? Knowing what you're talking about not only allows you to know what is in your own presentation, but it allows you to authentically deliver that information. You're not making it up. You're not um, saying it for someone else. You know what your message is and you're able to speak about it without a script which makes it sound less forced, more natural, and more believable. And the other thing that I would advise people to do is to treat a PowerPoint presentation as an opportunity to give valuable information to people. It shouldn't be a chore. Sometimes the information is not very good information, or sometimes it can be sad or upsetting But still, you're providing a service in giving that information to the people. So being an empathetic presenter, a genuine presenter, will help you to be able to deliver presentations on anything from the most, quote-unquote, boring stuff to exciting stuff to not-so-good news. But just having that empathy will help out in any kind of presentation. Brilliant.
0: I absolutely love that. And I think the favorite bit of advice that I was ever given was um, people don't know what you don't tell them. They don't know if you've messed up your words and missed something out. They don't know if you've skipped over a slide and don't go back to it. So you don't need to point out when things go wrong. But I, I just had this vision when you were talking of me being stood on stage looking at my slides going, I do not remember putting that one in there. Huh. <laughs> it's like, surprise. It's like, oh, okay, we'll work with this. That's absolutely wonderful, Laura. Thank you so, so much. This hour's flying past. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of your information. Where can the listeners find more of you online?
1: I am on the web at lauramfoley.com. That's L A U R A M, like Mike foley.com and i'm on linkedin it's a gobbledygook url so just look up laura foley on linkedin you'll find me there and if you want to get in touch the dinosaur way you can send me an email at laura at laura m foley.com i am so old i will respond to your email how's that <laughs> i didn't know the emails were not down with the kids anymore my goodness i love my email God, i have two sons one is going to be 19 next week the other is 15 and they think email is for old farts It's all Snapchat and Instagram the whole way. Oh
0: my goodness. Well, there you go, listeners. Um, If you would like to find more of Laura, I will put all of her links in the show notes. So you can go and find more about her and her work and find all of her details there to get in touch. And in the meantime, be sure to come back on Thursday when Laura will be very kindly sharing her business journey with us so far in her brand story episode. And until then, I would love to know if this has inspired you to approach your presentations in a new way So come and join the conversations in our communities on instagram or facebook we're also on clubhouse if that's more your jam and as always all the links in the show notes i will see you in the brand